Thank you for your good singing. Turn with me uh, to Ephesians chapter 6 today. Surprise, surprise. That's where we've been for a while now. And if you need a Bible, uh, there should be one in a chair in front of you or near you. If you, um, if you don't see one in the chair, just ask someone near you and they can get you a Bible. But we have plenty of those in the chairs here that you can use. And as we begin today talking about um, the next piece of armor in God's armor that he gives to us for spiritual warfare... Let's do a little review. We've, we've seen several of these pieces of armor already. We had the belt of truth. We had the breastplate of righteous living. We had feet that were prepared with the gospel that gives us peace with God and peace with one another. And then today, we're going to look at a very important piece of armor. is our shield, the shield of faith. And as we do that, I want to begin by telling you a story about a, a guy I knew, well, still know, um, a very rough experience that he went through in his life. At one point in his life, his daughter began having some undiagnosed health issues, and they honestly weren't sure that, he was, that she was going to live. Shortly after that began, his grandmother died, passed away all at the same time. At that same time in life, he and his wife were very pressured with responsibilities from their workplaces and their ministries they were involved in in their church. And this man was suffering from some health problems of his own that he hadn't figured out yet in his life. And in addition to all that, or maybe because of all that, there settled over him and in his life a deep darkness. A darkness that left him numb and empty feeling. A darkness that he described as feeling like hell itself because it felt like God had forsaken him. For that man at that point in his life, it was like Satan was just barraging him with arrow after arrow after arrow all at once. And perhaps you've been through a time like that where it's just one thing after another, Satan attacking, shooting arrow after arrow after arrow. And if you've never gone through a time like that, it's almost certain that you will at some point in life experience that. That's just part of living in a fallen world with a sin nature and with an enemy of the devil. What do you do? What do you do in a time like that? What did this man need to do? Well, in such situations, you do what Paul tells us here in Ephesians 6, verse 16. You, you need to take up the shield of faith. And that's exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 6, 16. If you're, if you're not there with me yet, turn there to Ephesians 6, 16. And if you are using one of the Bibles from the chairs, it's page 1752. And for today's big idea, I really 
can't say it any better than the verse itself. I mean, this is as good as it gets. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So in order to understand and apply this verse to our lives, there are really four questions that we have to answer. And if you have the bulletin, you can see those questions there on the, as the outline. Number one, what is faith? Number two, how do I take up faith? Number three, what are Satan's flaming arrows? And number four, how does faith extinguish those flaming arrows? What does that actually look like in our lives? So as we examine this verse today, those are the four questions that we're going to seek to answer from the Bible, from God's word. But before we do that, let's pray and ask for God's help. Oh Lord, we thank you that you are our sure and steady anchor. That if our faith is tied to you, Nothing can move us. Lord, help us as we talk about this topic today of faith in the Christian life and faith in spiritual warfare. Lord, really help us not to look at ourselves overly much, but instead turn our eyes to you, that our faith would be in you. Lord, help us to stand with the shield of faith and that we would be able to stand against and extinguish the flaming arrows that Satan hurls at us. Make us aware of these realities. Open our eyes to see them. Lord, bring us to genuine trust in you, not only as our Lord and Savior. Yes, that certainly, that's where it has to begin, but also trusting in you daily, day to day in every area of our lives and that we would glorify you in this time. Please help me, Lord, as I preach. Humble me. Glorify yourself through my weakness. Lord, help me to clearly and accurately explain and apply what your word says about this vital topic. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first question here, what is faith? Paul says, take up the shield of faith. If you're going to do that, you've got to know what faith is, right? Well, Paul doesn't answer that in this verse, but we can look at other passages to figure out what he is talking about. And Mitchell, do I have the, the picture of the soldier on there this time? Okay, I didn't think I did. We'll have a picture of it later, but the shield he's talking about in this, uh, in this context, it's not like a small little shield that you might think of. The shields that these Roman soldiers carried were about four feet tall, two feet wide, and it would cover most of their body. It's a big shield. And we'll see the significance of that later, but for now, just what is faith? The Bible talks about different kinds of faith, it talks about dead faith that does you no good. 
It talks about misplaced faith, where you, you believe in something, but you're believing in the wrong thing. Sometimes it talks about the faith, which is the set of apostolic teaching that the apostles gave us from Christ. What is Paul talking about here? Well, we could summarize it like this. Faith is personal trust in God alone according to his word. So faith is personal trust in God alone according to his word. We'll break that definition down into its parts. Um, we, could have, we could add more to that, but for Paul's purposes here and our purposes in this sermon, this is what we need to understand about faith. So number one, faith is personal trust. That's pretty obvious just in the idea of faith itself. If you looked up a, a definition of faith in a dictionary or a Bible dictionary, even very basic definition is just belief or dependence, commitment. And I think the word trust kind of combines all those ideas into this idea of faith, saving faith, faith that relies on the Lord. You could think of it like this, that if you had a, a surgery that needed to be done and you go in and they're going to operate on you, you're trusting that surgeon to operate on you. You believe that he's a real doctor and he knows how to do this operation. Yeah, we hope so, right? You commit yourself into their care. You depend on him to provide the care that you need. You know, you're not laying there on the operating table saying, now, doc, make sure that you do it this way. No, you're trusting this person to take care of you. That's the idea of faith here as personal trust. I'm believing you. I'm committing myself into your hands. I'm depending on you. And the fact that this is a personal thing is, is very obvious. It's something that you have to choose to do. It's a personal choice. You can't trust in something with someone else's faith. You know, you don't have faith just because, well, grandma said I was saved when I was five or whatever. You know, you don't have faith because someone else made that decision for you. This is something that you personally have to do. But if faith is trust, what is it trusting in? Trust has an object, right? A lot of people today, this is a big misunderstanding that people have in our culture today about faith. They'll say, well, I just need faith. Well, faith in what? Well, I don't know, but I just need faith. Well, what are you believing? I don't know, but I believe it. And it's like, that's not going to do you any good. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is choosing to trust something. And what does scripture tell us to trust? Well, number two, faith trusts in God alone. The one true living God is the proper object of our faith. He's the one that we put our trust in. He is the one we believe. Let's look at one of Paul's key passages on faith in Romans chapter 4. I'll have it. It'll be on the screen for you there. Paul says in Romans 4, What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. 
For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. So who, Paul's using this example of Abraham here. Who did Abraham believe? Who did he trust in? God. He trusted in God. He didn't trust in himself. He didn't trust in his works. He didn't trust in anyone else. He trusted in God. And so this faith that Paul is talking about is a faith that abandons hope in anything else other than the true and living God. He says that also in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We looked at this, it's been almost a year ago now when we preached through Ephesians, but he says, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. So this means that when we come to trust in God, we're abandoning trust in other things. We're not trusting in ourselves, our works, our strength, our resources, our experience, our feelings. We're not putting our ultimate hope and trust in those things. We're putting it in God alone. I love how Psalm 62 says it, my soul finds rest in God alone. We're not trusting in these other things. One final passage that just so beautifully captures this from the depths of Paul's heart, Philippians chapter 3. He says, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. That's the kind of faith that Paul is talking about here. It's not faith in Jesus plus being a good person. It's not faith in Jesus plus baptism. It's not faith in Jesus plus church membership. It's faith in Christ alone. And if you're familiar with that passage in Philippians 3 before this context, right, like we learned about in Sunday school, Paul has been listing out all of his accomplishments. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Jew of the Jews. I kept the law meticulously. No one was as righteous as me. And Paul says, all of that is trash in God's eyes. Because if I'm trying to justify myself, it's worthless. And I abandon it all and I put my faith in Jesus alone. That's the faith that Paul is talking about here. But that might raise a question in your mind. You said, Zach, you said that our faith needs to be in God alone. But Paul here talks about putting his faith in Christ. So which is it? Are you trusting in Christ or are you trusting in God? And the answer is yes. 
You're trusting in both. Because you can't trust in God without first trusting in Christ. Very simply, Christ is God. Jesus is the one true and living God. And when you put your faith in him, you are putting your faith in God. But there is also more to it than this. And this is where the last piece of the puzzle comes in. Number three, faith trusts God according to his word. When you study this idea of faith in the Bible, true saving faith is always connected to faith in God's word. Always. I I don't say always much, but I don't hesitate because I did study it. It's connected to faith in God's word. True faith trusts in God as he has revealed himself in his word. And who is the supreme word? The supreme revelation of God. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Jesus is God's word. Hebrews 1 verses 1 and 2 says that he is the supreme revelation from God. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And the whole argument of the entire book of Hebrews from then on is that Jesus is better than anything else you could put your faith in. He is the supreme revelation, the supreme word of God. And that's why 1 Peter 1.21 says this, Through him, that's through Christ, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. There is no faith in God apart from faith in Jesus. We believe in God the Father by believing in God the Son, who is the Word, that's Jesus. And how do we come to believe in Jesus? By believing in His words, the words that we have from Him in the Bible. So we've got, on the one hand, Jesus, the supreme self-revelation, God himself coming down to us. But he's not here on earth today, so how do we know about him? The Bible, yes. The Bible is God's 100% perfect, inspired word. about. This is how we come to know Jesus. You know, later this year, we're going to start preaching through the Gospel of John. One of the major themes in that gospel is that if you truly believe in Jesus, you will also believe his words. We're just, we'll look at one passage here, John 12. Jesus cried out, well, before I read it, let me just give you a little context again. John 12 is a major hinge moment in the gospel of John. And this passage is really a summary of Jesus's entire ministry. So it says, Jesus cried out, the one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. 
and the one who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I have said. I know that his command is eternal life. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. And if you want to see similar ideas in John, you can look at John chapter 6 and John chapter 8. Jesus says basically the same thing there. If you want to truly believe in me, then you also have to believe in my words. And where do we find those words? They have been written down and preserved for us in the Bible. These are the words of God, the words of Jesus for us. Now, why is this important? Why do I emphasize this so much? Well, if you don't trust what someone says, then you don't really trust that person, right? If I say that I trust you, and then you tell me something, and I say, well, I don't believe you on that, I don't really trust you, do I? But secondly, if you don't trust God according to what he has revealed, you will trust in the wrong God and the wrong Jesus, and that will have disastrous consequences. If you don't trust God according to what he says about himself, what are you going to do? You're going to make up your own idea about God. You're going to come up with your own ideas about Jesus, and you're going to trust in that, and that's not the real Jesus. It would be like if you were in a city and you called a, ordered an Uber driver to come pick you up, and you know it says on there, you know, Uber driver's name is uh, Frank, we'll say. Frank Jose. I don't know. I'm just making this up. So you're waiting and you see this car pull up where you're standing and you're not really paying attention and so you get in the car and you think this is your Uber and you're scrolling on your phone and he pulls away and you look up and you're like, he kind of looks like the guy on the picture. Is your name Frank? He says, oh yeah, my name's Frank. And that's not really your Uber driver. That's Frank Marshall, not Frank Jose. But you've put your faith in the wrong Frank. And who knows where he's going to take you or what he's going to do, right? And so if you have a wrong idea about God, a wrong idea about who Jesus is, and you put your faith in that, you're on the road to hell. And I don't say that lightly. I don't say that to condemn you. I say that because I love you, and I want to make sure that your faith is in the right object, in the right person, because otherwise... There is no life. There is no salvation. There is no protection from Satan. There's only death. And sincerity is not the issue either. Some people have this idea that, well, it doesn't really matter what I believe. 
It just matters that I have strong faith. The content of that faith doesn't really matter. No, you can be sincerely right and sincerely wrong. If you have a cancerous tumor, no matter how strongly you believe that it's not there, it is still there. The sincerity, the strength of your faith is not what matters. It's what is your faith trusting in. That's what matters. And so how can you make sure, how can you know that your faith is trusting in the true God, in the real Jesus, the Bible? You study the Bible. You look to the Bible and say, what has God said about himself? What does the Bible say about Jesus? Okay, now I know that I'm trusting in the real deal. So when Paul talks about faith in Ephesians 6, verse 16, that's what he's talking about. Faith is personal trust in God alone according to his word. And again, it's not perfect faith. The main point is the object of our faith, of what is your faith trusting in. Jim actually sent me this uh, video clip. Mitchell, if you could pull that up. It's from one of my, one of my favorite theologians. His name is D.A. Carson. And um, I wasn't even going to try to recreate this because he's just so good at it. But this is a clip from his sermon that I think really illustrates this well. Go ahead. Picture two Jews by the name of Smith and Brown, remarkably Jewish names. The day before the first Passover, having a little discussion in the land of Goshen. And Smith says to Brown, Boy, are you a little nervous about what's going to happen tonight? Brown says, death doesn't pass over them on the ground of the intensity or the clarity of the faith exercised, but on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. 
That's what silences the accuser. The blood silences the accuser of the brothers as he accuses us before God. He silences our consciences when he accuses us directly. How many times do we ride in agony asking if God can ever love us enough, if God can ever care for us enough after we've done such stupid, sinful, rebellious things, after being Christians for 40 years? What are you going to say? What do you know of God? I tried hard, you know. I did, I did my best. It was, it was a bad moment. No, no, no. I have no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. There is the ground of all human assurance before God. There is the ground of our faith. Not guaranteeing intensity of faith, so fickle are we. It's not the intensity of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves. They overcome him on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Your faith does not have to be perfect and flawless. Jesus in the Gospels commended great faith and he commended mustard seed sized faith. But your faith does have to be in the right thing. And so I just ask the kind of faith that we've seen from the Bible is that the kind of faith that you have? Is your faith resting, trusting in the God of the Bible through the Jesus of the Bible? Are you seeking to live by faith according to the word of God in the Bible? That's the kind of faith that we need. That's what Paul is talking about when he says to take up this shield of faith. Put your faith in Christ alone to save you and to strengthen you to stand against Satan. And if you have any questions about that, any questions at all, I am more than happy to talk to you about those things after the service. I'd love to. So I know that first section there was a little long, but it was by far the longest section because it was the most important section. But that was the first question, what is faith? So if you have that kind of faith, what do you do with it? How do you take up your faith when Satan attacks? How do you take up faith? As Paul says in Ephesians 6.16. So Paul assumes that these Christians here, they've already put their faith in Christ to save them. But faith doesn't stop there. Faith doesn't stop after you've saved You've been saved by Jesus. It goes on, and as the Bible teaches, we live by faith. We walk by faith. Everything we do in life should be characterized by faith. And it's the same here. In spiritual warfare, we, we fight by faith. And that means that you have to put your faith to work. Faith is not some mystical, automatic, magical thing that when you get attacked, it just pops up and protects you. You have to take your faith in hand and put it to work in order to stand against Satan. How do we do that? Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous preacher of the last century, he had a sermon 
uh, called Where Is Your Faith? And in there, he, he's talking about the disciples that are on the boat in the Sea of Galilee, and the, the storm comes up, and they're freaking out. They're like, we're going to die. And Jesus is sleeping in the boat, and they run to him. Lord, Lord, don't you care? We're about to die. And Jesus rebukes the storm and calms it, and he looks at him and goes, where is your faith? And he, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in this sermon, he talks about when you're in those kind of situations, what do you do to put your faith to work? And he gives three steps that I think are just brilliant. The first thing he says I must do when I find myself in a difficult position is to refuse to allow myself to be controlled by the situation. So in other words, you, you get control of yourself. You don't let the situation control you. Secondly, then remind yourself of what you believe about God and what you know to be true based on the Bible. So you get a hold of yourself and you recall to mind, okay, the Bible says that God is fill in the blank or God promises fill in the blank or I know that the Bible says that this is true. So you remind yourselves of those things. And then thirdly, the next step is that faith applies all that, all that knowledge to the particular situation. Whatever your circumstances at the moment, bring all you know to be true of your relationship to God to bear upon it. And that's it. It's pretty simple sounding. It's not always easy to do, but it does take work. We have to put our faith to work. So let's say you get a bad medical diagnosis, terminal illness, and you remind yourself of the truths from the Bible. God can heal me if he wants to. God doesn't always heal, but the Bible says that if I trust in Jesus, even if I die, I will continue to live and I will be with Jesus. And in the future, I will be raised, resurrected, just like Christ. And so I don't need to fear death. You remind yourself of those truths. You get a hold of yourself and you say, this is what the Bible says about this situation I'm in. And I am going to believe it. And again, it's not the strength of your faith but it's what is your faith in? You must choose to believe the truth. And I mentioned earlier the shield that Paul is talking about. This reminds us of the corporate nature of spiritual warfare, that we don't do this on our own. The, the grammar, just to remind you, the grammar of what we're reading here in Scripture is plural that Paul is talking about this to the whole church to help one another do this. And this shield that the Romans would carry, they became kind of famous for this. It's called the testudo formation. And what they would do is the guys in the front, they'd put up this big shield, and the guys behind them would raise it over their heads, and it, they were called tortoises. They had a shell and it would protect them from arrows, javelins, darts, stones, whatever the enemy was throwing. But they had to do it together. 
And so we as a church come alongside one another and we strengthen each other's faith and we point each other to Christ in the Bible and we say, don't give up, keep standing. And that's a great illustration of what that looks like. That when Satan is flinging his arrows, his javelins at us, we hold each other's arms and we, we stand together with the shield of faith. So that is how you take up the shield of faith in the spiritual warfare. Now quickly, why, why do we need it? Well, as Ephesians 6.16 says, it's because of Satan's flaming arrows. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So what are Satan's flaming arrows? What are these things? Well, thankfully, this is the easiest part, the easiest question to answer. It's really any sort of attack that Satan brings into your life. Any scheme that he uses against you. That's why Paul says in, at the beginning of the verse, in every situation. Literally, it's in everything. You take up the shield of faith. So far, as we've gone through this passage on spiritual warfare, we've seen some of Satan's schemes, deception and lies, temptation to sin, condemnation, division, and there's many others, many other things that he will use. But it's amazing. Paul says, whatever it is, whatever kind of attack he's bringing against you, use that shield of faith and you will be able to extinguish it. You will stop it. He says there, notice in verse 16, that he says you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. There is no attack of Satan that can stand against the shield of faith. And again, it's not because of how strong we are, how strong our faith is. It's because of how strong Christ is, that we've put our faith in him. And the one that you have put your faith in is stronger than the one who is attacking you. And that is why, again, you have to make sure that your faith is trusting in the true and living God, the Christ of the Bible. Now, finally, our final question. How does faith extinguish these flaming arrows? What does that actually look like in our lives? Well, let me just begin with a few things that it does not mean. When we talk about Satan's attacks, trials, sufferings in the Christian life, you look at those throughout the Bible, having faith does not mean that you won't ever have trials or you won't ever get hurt. Scripture's clear. We will suffer in this fallen world. Followers of Christ will suffer. Having faith doesn't mean that life is a cakewalk. Having faith also doesn't mean that as soon as you trust in the promise of God, that that attack disappears. It doesn't make it go away. But it does mean that you can withstand it and you can persevere through it till Satan does stop. And it also doesn't mean that you have to put on a brave face and hide your weakness and never tell anybody that you're suffering. That's just not realistic. That's not biblical. So what does this look like? 
Well, do you remember the, the guy that I told you about in the beginning of the sermon where his daughter was suffering? They didn't know if she would live. His grandma died. There's work pressures, family pressures, depression settles in. That man was me two years ago. That was me back in 2021. That was when Ruth was about five, five months old. She started having her allergy troubles. She would react to everything we gave her. God taught us to pray, give us our daily bread, because we literally didn't know each day if she would have food to eat. Angie was heading into tax season, working overtime. I was trying to serve as I could. I was working. And then my grandma died right in the middle of all that. I mean, it was one thing after another. And that depression that I mentioned was like nothing I'd ever experienced. I don't know if it was because of that or if it was something else, but there was just darkness, numbness. Like I didn't know what was going on. And it felt like everything in me, my emotions were totally felt like God had abandoned me. And I knew that that wasn't true, but it sure felt like it. But God sustained my faith through that. And that faith protected me when everything in me wanted to quit. I ran to the Bible, specifically the book of Hebrews, and I would just read Hebrews over and over and over again. And I would cry out, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. What is going on? Help me. And I don't tell you this so that you'll think that I'm some strong spiritual warrior. No, I, I was basically just sitting and cowering behind my shield while Satan attacked. But you know, my shield withstood the attack. My faith stood the ground because it was in the God of the Bible. And I trusted in his promises. And did that make all those problems go away? No. Ruth's still allergic to all these things. We still have crazy busy lives. My grandma is still dead. She's in heaven with Christ, praise the Lord. But you know, she didn't come back from the dead. It's a battle, it's a fight. And you've got to turn and put your faith in Christ and in his word. It doesn't mean that everything is gonna be easy. It doesn't mean that your problems are gonna disappear but God will strengthen you and you can stand and you can cling to Christ and he will hold you fast and you will endure. You will persevere. As John says in Revelation, like we saw in Sunday school, you will be an overcomer by your faith. Even if that, it means you struggle till the day of death, you will enter into glory. 
the amazing thing is that with this shield of faith, each time it's attacked and you use it, it gets stronger. With a natural shield, you know, these arrows are sticking in it. It's going to break at some point. You put your faith in Christ. Every trial you go through, every attack Satan flings at you, you use that shield of faith and it actually gets stronger. That's what happened to me. I came through that period of darkness and trial stronger than I'd ever been. Still growing, of course, much growth needed. What flaming arrow is Satan shooting at you? Depression, fear, worry, anxiety, temptation for sin, a medical trial, family troubles. What is it? What is Satan throwing at you? Whatever it is, Paul says, all the flaming arrows, whatever situation, Take up that shield of faith. Put your trust on the solid rock of Christ and his word. And stand. Stand against your enemy. And glorify your Savior. So let's pray and ask for his help to do this. Lord, we praise you that you are our sure and steady anchor. We praise you that you are our refuge and our rock that we can run to. You are our shield and our defense. And so help us to have our faith in you alone, not to rest in, in our own works, not to rest in the things of this world, but to find strength in you, oh God, I, I cry out to you. I beg of you on behalf of this church, of my brothers and sisters, whatever attacks we are going through, help us to stand strong. Help us to put our faith in you and in your word. And may you shield us and grow us and strengthen us through this battle for your glory. And we Oh, we eagerly look forward to the day when you return and we will not have to fight anymore, but the battle will be done and our enemy finally and fully defeated. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, come in your name. Amen.